So we're continuing our series in Philippians, Paul's letter from lockdown. And we get to this point now, this passage has what is one of the most extraordinary passages in all of the New Testament. This, what we believe is an old hymn, one of the earliest hymns, Christian hymns ever written, like a song to remember just how amazing Jesus was. And it's the bit that Jem read at the end there from uh, chapter two, verse five to 11 and it tells the cosmic story about Jesus the big big story about what we call the gospel the good news about what Jesus has done for the world what he's done for you you see it's right for all of us sometimes to stop and to ask the big questions to dwell on the big picture the most important things of all And what's interesting is in this time, I think more people are asking the big questions than ever before. If you're tuned in perhaps this morning, maybe you've got some pretty big questions about what's going on and what life is really all about. It was lovely. I sat out with my neighbours on Thursday uh, night, Tony and Jackie, just such lovely, fab neighbours. And we sat out at the front in our social distancing on our drives. And we we shared a glass of wine and we chatted away and it didn't take more than a minute or five before the conversation turned to the big questions about what are the material things that we had before that we no longer feel we need or what is important really in this life? What do I value most? What should my priorities be? You know, the same thing happens at funerals where our lives are stopped and we are confronted with the pain and the reality of death. And we begin to ask questions like, well, what is my life all about? And what should my priorities be? What's most important of all? Having written first about his own situation in prison, uh, Paul now turns his gaze to the Philippian church. And he knows that they, too, are struggling. They're not having it easy. We're not clear what it is, but they're suffering, he says, in the same way he has suffered. And. He knows that they would possibly be asking the big questions in all of that. Uh, How do we respond to this time as a church? What should our priority be? And Paul clearly answers this quite profoundly in verse 27. He says this, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Paul uh, uses a Greek word here called monon, and it means above all. This, 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 whatever happens, it means above all else or just this one thing. Get this thing as your priority. This is his big answer. This is his big priority for them. In this time of pressure and difficulty, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Jesus. Now, you might hear this and think, gosh, how disappointing. It sounds like Paul's basically wagging his finger and saying, behave yourselves, Philippians. That's the most important thing, you know, like a letter from parents sent to a son away at university saying, don't forget to brush your teeth and comb your hair, you know, uh, and, and shower once a day kind of thing. Is that really the big answer? Just behave? We may roll our eyes and say, I knew it. This Christianity really is just about being a nice person. Trying to be worthy. But it's far from what Paul's saying here, actually. You see, the gospel or the good news he's talking about, that he's telling them to put right at the centre of all they do and think, 
It's not just an idea. It's not a set of religious rules or doctrines. It's not a behavior book. It's a person. Good news is about a person. The good news is about Jesus, that he is king and he is Lord. It's about his amazing love for us. And the word worthy here doesn't mean try and prove yourself worthy. Try and keep going so that you can somehow desperately be good before God. No, it just means live in a way that is consistent with, that matches up to what God's already done in your life. You are already loved. You are already saved. You already know who he is. So now live in a way that reflects that. The big answer, the big priority at the centre of everything that Paul wants the Philippians to embrace is not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. Above all else, friends, shape your thinking, your actions, your understandings, your priorities, your behaviours, everything in a way that matches up with who you are, beloved, and who he is, your Lord and Saviour and friend. You see, this morning I could focus on unity and I will touch on it. I could have talked about courage and I will. I could have talked about tenderness and love and compassion, humility. I will. Paul is saying, do these things, be these things, act out these things. But more than that, more than anything else, I want to draw our focus to the source of all these things, the reason for all these things, the relationship underneath all these things. I want to talk about Jesus this morning, because ultimately the answer to our biggest questions of life, the universe, who I am, what's going on, found in Jesus, Jesus Christ. So let's ask one of these big questions first. What is this church thing all about? There's no doubt in this season of pressure and change, ministers like me are thinking, what on earth are we doing? Who on earth made me a minister? Who made me the lead pastor at such a time as this? Ah! And actually, we've been asking deep questions about what's church actually all about. Once we've stripped everything away, we're no longer in our building. We're no longer got our electric guitars and drum kits and all this stuff. What is church all about? What's really important to us as a church community? This moment of pressure and change is causing us to ask the big questions. And moments of pressure actually on church, just as they can on any community or group could go one of two ways. Moments of pressure can cause divisions and doubts and fears and factions. As people fear and jostle to take control and and, and to criticise or fall out with others in their panic and their worry and concern, they fall away. But actually, Paul's saying here, when Jesus is at the centre of a community, when he's at the centre of your thinking and acting and identity, And actually, this can be a time of incredible galvanizing and strengthening where new bonds of love for one another can be formed and a new impassioned commitment to Jesus can be born. can make the community stronger and our love for Jesus stronger. Above all else, Paul was saying to the Philippians, and I think God would say to each one of us as a church and as individuals, make it all about Jesus right now. For if you do, Paul says, when I come and see you, He says in his letter, even in the suffering, I will find a church standing firm like soldiers refusing. Even in the suffering, I will find a church standing firm like soldiers refusing to lose their ground and give it up. I'll find a fellowship striving together like athletes on a team together, living out, sharing the good news about Jesus that the world needs to hear. 
I'll find a community full of courage, even in the face of opposition. This is what happens when Jesus and his gospel is our passion and our priority. When we have the spirit of God strengthening us, equipping us and blessing our fellowship together and our love for the Lord. You know, it's natural for us to fear times of challenge and suffering. I know I do, actually, and all of us, none of us relish the thought of suffering. But Paul says something quite profound here. I want you to hear this. He says it's been granted to you, Philippians, on behalf of Jesus, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And Paul's not saying this lightly. The word he uses here actually is the word we get the word agony from. One thing he makes clear, and I want you to hear again this morning, is that church isn't always about taking the easier option or just experiencing a suffering free life. Truthfully, although I have known suffering in my life, I'm not sure I've ever really known it because of my faith in Jesus. But I'm not in the majority here throughout history. That has been the norm. For Christians, they have suffered because of their faith. And all around the world today, there are Christians bravely holding on, courageously filled with God's spirit through suffering for their faith. When we have Jesus at the centre, even suffering draws us closer to him, to share in an experience that he experienced. It can awaken our faith and our love for one another and for him in the most amazing way. There is something far more significant than simply avoiding suffering in what church is all about. Today, we might not be suffering as a church, friends. Uh, As such, it's a difficult time. It's not a normal time for us as a fellowship. But perhaps you're tuning in this morning curious What is it that you lot really are all about? Or perhaps you are asking in this time of difficulty, what is it the church is all about? The simple answer to that is we're all about Jesus. It's not big, it's not clever, it's not hard what I've said this morning. But I just want to bring us back to the basics. It's all about Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Saviour, our friend, the one who we have found is the answer to the biggest questions we have, the biggest questions we could ever ask in life. So let's continue to focus on him. Let's continue to adore him, to worship him, to prioritise sharing and celebrating the good news about him, to be open and expectant to all he's doing in us in this season right now. You see, instead of a picture of a fractious and broken community in this letter here, in this passage Paul paints a picture of a fellowship filled with the hallmarks of Jesus's presence with them. Just listen to his words. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul's not really questioning if you have these things. He's reminding them that they do have these things in Jesus. And so do we. We have, as part of God's family, the most amazing encouragement of the fellowship of Jesus with us, the presence of Jesus with us and being found in him, our new identity in him together. We have such comfort. I can't tell you from knowing how dearly loved we are. 
and choosing then to love each other in that same way that he does. Such fellowship caused by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. I love the fact that you can bump into a Christian wherever in the world. And sometimes you just know and you know there's this link and you feel like a brother or a sister is with you. And it's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that does that. We have such tenderness and compassion growing new within us. Gosh, we all need more. But God's doing that in us. His spirit is at work. We have these wonderful things in Jesus, Paul says. And so choose the thing that Jesus prayed most of all for you. Choose to love one another. Choose unity. Choose to care and work for the fellowship. Choose to support each other and encourage each other. Because by this, Jesus said, you're going to be known as my disciples. There's going to be something different amongst you. Are we perfect as this as a church at Creech? No, we're really not. Am I perfect at it? No, I'm far from perfect. But Jesus is at work amongst us and he's at work amongst us in this season. And maybe we can step into a new season as a fellowship of choosing to love, to commit, to encourage, to forgive one another. As once again, we put Jesus right at the centre of our gathered community as we come through this season and into the next. May this be a time of incredible galvanising and strengthening where the new bonds of love for one another are formed and a new impassioned commitment to Jesus is born. So if that's what church is all about, Jesus, our King, then let's ask another big question that you may be asking at the moment. And that's who am I? And what should my priorities be? Because I don't know about you, but this season has caused me to ask that question too. How am I doing in the midst of all of this? How do I fit in? Faced with all this upheaval and change, what is my life really all about? What should my priorities be? Am I living a life worthy of the gospel that matches up to all that Jesus is and all that he says I am? And the trouble is the thing we find ourselves doing most often is comparing ourselves with how other people are doing right now. And even though we know Facebook and Instagram and social media are filled with the most polished and the most perfect and set up photos, we still look at them and we still judge ourselves against them. And we still go, oh, I'm not doing as well. We see the picture of parents homeschooling on a perfectly tidy table with all the most amazing stationery laid out and the children very calmly doing their work. And as we see that picture, we hear the screams and the squabbles from the other room of our own children fighting over the remote and the mess and the carnage and everything. And you just think, I'm no good at this. What am I doing wrong? You see the stories of genuine heroes doing amazing things right now. And you go, wow, they are amazing. But it leads you to ask your own question. Am I doing enough? And even as Christians, we can read the profound prayers and insights of other Christians and think, I'm I'm not feeling that. I wouldn't have come up with that myself. Do you know what? This week, <clears throat> I have to admit, I found myself looking at other churches and their online presentations. And I've seen churches that have like TV studios and beautiful back screens and PowerPoints and smoke machines. And I just thought, oh, no, me and Mig just sit in our little houses in our mess. <laughs> And we do our best. And for a moment, I thought, we're no good at this or I'm no good at this. But as Mick said <laughs> last week, you know what? We'd rather be authentic and real and in this together. You know, we can all sometimes be like King Louis 
from the Jungle Book. I want to be like you. Ooh, ooh, hard not to say that. We see the man come, we see what we lack, and we do one of two things. We see someone else and we think either, oh, I don't like you because you're like that, and we secretly despise them, or we jostle and we try and compete and we try and prove that we're better than them, or we speak down on them, or we try and crush them and squash them down so we feel better about ourselves. But the truth is, if we're honest, all many of us really want to be is we don't want to be someone else. We just want to be our best selves. I just want to do a bit better in this life. I want to be the best version of me that I can be. And the truth is, we don't become the best version we can be by selfishly competing and pushing. Or by giving up and declaring ourselves rubbish compared to others. But counterintuitively, we become our best selves, God teaches us. When we turn the whole comparison and competition thing on its head, And we learn to love and value and celebrate and serve others. If we want to live a life worthy of the gospel, Paul puts it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Gosh, it's looking to the interests of others above our own that we discover our best When we see another person's successes, rather than hating them for it or wishing we could do it, we celebrate with them. We cheer them on. Keep going. It's amazing. I love what you're doing. And we see the strengths God has put and the gifts God's put in a brother or a sister or somebody else in our communities all around. We don't go, I wish I had that. We just cheer them on. and We thank him for them. We pray for them. When we see an opportunity to better ourselves, we stop. And we think, how might I share this or how might somebody else be able to benefit from this moment rather than just me? And as we do that, we actually begin to look more like Jesus. You see, if your desire is to be the best version of you that you could be, then I want to tell you something. God's desire and dream for you is just the same. He too wants you to grow into the best version of you. In fact, He wants to help you become the person he's created you to be. He's got dreams for you. He's put gifts in you. He knows who you are and he wants you to fulfill all of that. And to do that, each of us needs to begin to look more like Jesus. See, Paul's desire for the Philippian church is the same as God's desire for me and for you, that we would actually have the same mindset, same attitude as Jesus. See, Jesus never played the comparison game. He didn't beat himself up for not being somebody else. He never beat anybody else up for being better than him either. He simply knew deep down that he was loved. He was cherished. He was a precious child of Father God. And I want to say that to you this morning. You are utterly loved, even if you feel you're messy and rubbish and you're not good enough. I want to say in Father's eyes, you are wonderful. You are loved more than you could ever know. As Charles was praying. Jesus didn't have to prove himself or justify himself to others. Instead, he chose to love and serve others time and time again, prioritizing their interests above his own. And he calls us, each one of us, to come and do the same. You might think, Matt, isn't this just a comparison game again? Trying to be like someone I'm not. Is that what Christianity is? I've just got to really try and be really good. And if I become more like Jesus, then surely I become less like myself. That doesn't make sense, does it? I want to say absolutely not. I want to say to you, when you become more like Jesus, you actually become the person you were always meant to be, the person you were made to be. 
it's true when you strive to be like another person, you can lose your own identity sometimes. A bit like if you've ever watched, um, I don't know, The X Factor, and you see a young person come on and they're dressed exactly like another pop singer in all the corduroy or the uh, corduroy, what century am I in? The denim or whatever is cool. Ugh, clearly not denim. Maybe, maybe denim's cool again. Um, but they don't have their own identity and they, they even put on the American accent as they're singing the song, even though they're from Hull or Birmingham. Birmingham, sorry, Mick. Love you, Mick. Um, and they put on the American accent. They desperately try and be someone else and they kind of lose who they are. But God doesn't want you and I just to turn into homogenous robots with no distinction, just mini Christian robots with no identity left. No, that's never been his plan. When I, Matt, become more like Jesus and I am still working on this and he's working on this in me, I'm far from there yet. I don't become less like Matt. I'm actually being transformed into the best version of Matt there is. And I've got a long way to go. God doesn't want me or you to disappear. I love one preacher says it this way. He says, he had none of you before he made you and he didn't like it. So he made you. He created you. And as we become more like Jesus, we grow into the fullness of all he's made us to be. Someone with the unique combination of gifts and insights, quirks and characteristics that only you have. And the ways of being that only you can be and do. Just as he made you. So how do we become more like Jesus? Well, and I'm coming into land shortly. Begins with us deliberately choosing to fix our eyes on him, to read about him, prioritize him, learn about him. If you've not studied who Jesus is, I commend to you. Grab a Bible, open it in the New Testament, open Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, one of them and just choose one. Go for Mark and just read it. And discover who he is, prioritise him, listen to his teachings, pour over the stories of what he did and what he said. And let us as a people dwell in his word, reflect deeply in prayer on him, study and contemplate. He's not an optional extra. He's not a nice addition or a sideshow act. He's the very author and perfecter of our faith. So let us be a people who daily turn our gaze to Jesus. Pete Gregg writes, if you mostly contemplate your phone, then your neural pathways will realign to reflect that reality. If you fill your mind with pornographic imagery, you will become more, not less, sexually frustrated and lustful. Numerous scientific surveys have shown that if you surround yourself with people who are kind and speak positively, you will become encouraging and optimistic. So when we meditate regularly on God's goodness, saturate our consciousness in love, then we become more like him. We become more like Jesus. You say to me, Matt, I just want to be a better father or a better mother, a better friend. Then I want to say to you, a better grandparent, better auntie or uncle. Then turn your gaze to Jesus and you will see someone who shows us what tenderness and kindness and wisdom and strength and courage and love really looks like. If you want to be someone who makes a difference for good in this world, then look to Jesus. If you want more patience, look to Jesus. More wisdom, more grace, more forgiveness, more courage, then look to Jesus. And yet, friends, there's a final twist in all of this. For looking and contemplating is crucial. But on its own, it's not enough, you know. If you go, right, I see him and now I'm just going to try and be like him. You'll just burn out. You'll be exhausted. You'll realise you can't do it. And Jesus knew that. And so he did something that has changed history. 
and the life of every believer forever. The one we most desire to be like chose to be like us. I want to be like you, Jesus. Well, Jesus said, then I'm going to have to be like you first. This was the only way we could ever be like him. We could ever reach the fullness of who God made us to be was if he chose to enter into our broken world and our messy lives. He chose to come and save us, to stand in our place, to deal with my mess, your mess, my sin, my mistakes, my rotten parts that I have messed up so many times. And he took it all on himself so that I might be declared clean and holy before God. So that by his Holy Spirit, he could now send his spirit to be with us so that he can work in us now what we could never achieve on our own. I want to finish this morning by letting the great hymn at the end of our reading speak for itself. We're going to turn to communion now and reflect again on what Jesus has done for us. We could unpack this hymn in a full series by itself, but this morning let's simply wonder again, or maybe for the first time hear with new ears, just what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus really is all about. That the perfect one, the holy one, the glorious one of all heaven, more amazing and beautiful than we could ever imagine, he gave it all up. He stepped down, the one who was fully God, chose to become like us. He remained fully God, but he emptied himself of all his privileges and he became fully human. And he walked this life, walked this earth humbling himself over and over again, despite our hatred of him, despite our mocking of him, our spitting at him, despite our failures and greed and jostling and competing and pride, he humbled himself to love us and to serve us over and over again. And if this was the end of the story, we would praise him forevermore for doing that. But it's not the end. He went even lower. He chose to go to the brutal cross, something so shameful the Romans wouldn't even Mention it. He died a shameful, humiliating and awful death in my place and in yours. He laid aside his own rights and he humbled himself so that all who now turn to him, all you, if you turn to him. Then you can know his love and you can be forgiven and your life can be changed and he can begin a new work in you, transforming you equipping you and changing you by his Holy Spirit more into his likeness. We can't do this on our own, but he can do it in us. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy of the gospel or of his love. We're not. I'm not. You're not. But we're loved beyond measure anyway. This is the gospel. And it's all about Jesus, his grace, his love, his humility, his victory and his lordship over all. He is the answer to your deepest and my deepest and biggest questions. And he's the answer to all that's going on in this world and all that we long for that is good and right. Hear these words as we turn to communion. I'm going to read these words. We're going to listen to a song. So get in a moment your bread ready, but just pause for a moment. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, he did it for me and he did it for you. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, as we approach communion again, the question is, do you want to be more like Jesus? I couldn't be any more loved. Could I be more like Jesus? Yeah, I could. Do I want to be more like Jesus? Yes, I do. The best that I can be. Come and work in us this morning, Jesus. Come and make us more like you. Maybe you could ask him as we listen to this song and prepare for communion to come and shape you, to come and change you, to come and move by his Holy Spirit within you and to make you more like him.